Hello everyone, I'm Rugby Reg and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. We're up to episode 172. Well, it was a tough week for Australian Super Rugby teams this round, so to try and brighten everyone's mood, we're going to have the second in our series of Rugby World Cup Legends tonight. Last episode, we had Matty Burke on, and he was fantastic. Talked about the 1999 Rugby World Cup, and he looked at the fullback position for the Wallabies this year and all the options we have there. Go back and have a listen if you haven't caught up with it yet. It's well worth it. But tonight, we've got another Rugby World Cup champion and in fact one of my all-time favourite Wallabies. He's on the wing for the Wallabies uh, for their 1991 campaign. He is Bobby Edgerton. Welcome along, Bob. Yeah, thanks very much. Really nice uh, intro there. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm literally thrilled to have you on board. That got such fond memories of that 1991 Wallaby campaign that uh, you were so integral to. So uh, we'll talk about it, Bob. You're a bit of an enigma uh, in that you were, you know, your late 20s when you made that Wallaby de- debut. In the middle of the 1991 series, I think the first test was, would have been around June, July. Four months later, you were a Rugby World Cup champion, and, and then you promptly moved off to the US and never played for the Wallabies again. It's a, it's a really amazing story, and I want to get to that in a second. But let's go back to that time before 91. Can you give us a bit about your background on where you were pre-1991? You were at Oxford for a little while? Yeah, so I uh, played my... Uh my footy with Sydney Uni as a fullback and debuted in first grade in about 1984. Um, around about 1987, I had an opportunity to go away to university in England and uh, I took that up. There were a number of uh, people ahead of me on the on the representative uh, in the representative ranks at that time and returned from there in '89 uh, and really just got a sniff to uh, to be involved in a New South Wales rugby tour to. Argentina at the start of '91. There were a few people injured, and and I got a, a crack at that, and uh, and got picked on the wing uh, for New South Wales at the start of that year. So that was a pretty remarkable uh, 1991 series for New South Wales as well, uh, going through uh, the season undefeated, I pr- believe, and they were coached by Rod McQueen, who would obviously uh, coach the Wallabies in 1999. Yeah, that, that was a that was a pretty exceptional year, and and the making of that year was that that tour to Argentina. Right. Uh, it was a really low budget, low budget tour, but we played some pretty stiff opposition, and we went through that tour undefeated, and um, played a game in New Zealand against uh, Buck Shelford led North Harbour, um, and beat them. And then we went through that year uh, undefeated, um, including a big victory over Wales uh, at Concord Oval, and then uh, a couple of weeks later, another good victory against England. And uh, and then we we won both our our state games against Queensland that year. So uh, a lot of that team was kept intact for that uh, first test against uh, first test of the season against Wales. Yeah, I was going to talk about that. And do you put down the success of that Wallaby season to you know to the success and I guess the combinations that were in that Waratah team. Well, I think there was there was two things there. The, the Waratahs team um, were very tight and had played some good footy, but by the same token, the Queensland team had done done pretty much the same thing. Um, they had a really successful year as well. So we had two states 
the only two uh, states playing top level rugby at the time, um, mm. both playing playing well and playing with a lot of confidence leading into that um, 91 Test Series. It really was a remarkable you know, Test season, which I want to delve into a bit, particularly those first three Tests of, you, of yours. But can you tell us about, can you recall the moment where you got the call up, you're, you, you found out you're going to be playing for the Wallabies? Yeah, well, it was. It, we'd, we'd, I think we'd just played, um, just played Wales for New South Wales, um, and we'd put seventy points on them. It was a, a pretty, pretty much a romp for New South Wales. It was the last game that we'd played that year, um, and we were in a reception underneath um, Concord Oval in the rooms underneath there, where they used to, you know, have, have a couple of beers and and a bit of a debrief after the game, and the test squad was announced um, in that reception. So, yeah, I was over the moon. Really, I was a, I was a, I was a bolter um, that was getting to the end of my career, my, my chance to be a bolter, and then I was named in that team and, and delighted to, to do what I'd really wanted to do for a very long time. Fantastic. So let's talk about that first test. So you played Wales again. It was up here at Ballymore, um, and it was another spanking. That was obviously a, uh, a famously uh, dire series uh, tour for the Welsh. You beat them uh, 60-odd points or so, and you also scored your first test try. Um, made your debut along the likes of Marty Roebuck and, and John Eels as well. What are your memories of that test? Oh, for me, the, just the, the, the pride in, in, in standing out there and, and singing the anthem and uh, realising that, that that dream that I'd had as a, as a kid had, uh, had eventuated. And the, the test, it, it was really very one-sided, so it was a pretty easy debut for me. I do remember the try that I scored. Um, I, 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 it wasn't a legitimate try. I'd, I, I, I let go of it about a foot above the try line. Um, but I wasn't going to tell the referee that. Um, so it, it was it was one of those days where most things went right for the Wallabies. And I do remember the after match function. There was a bit of a blue amongst the Welsh uh, amongst the Welsh players um, in in the reception. It wasn't a particularly happy tour for them. No, not at all. But you, you talk about things going your right. You go, go to that next Test match versus England at the uh, football stadium, and this time you won by about forty points. But I've got distinct memories of this of it being one of the finest Wallaby performances I've seen. I remember uh, back row moves went, you know, went perfectly and, and, you know, everything just seemed to go your way. Uh, do you have similar memories of that game? Yeah, that was... Uh, we, we, I think we played particularly well that day. I, I mean, I, I don't know if I had a huge involvement in the game. I do remember I had to mark one of the Underwood, Underwood yeah. boys and, and, he, and I, was, I was terrified, really, because he had a lot more toe than I did. But uh, luckily, they didn't get a lot of ball, and our back row that day were outstanding. Tim Gavin and yeah. uh, Willie Offangali were just sensational that day. Yeah, remember yeah. it distinctly. Now, your next yeah. game, you also had to mark someone pretty significant, and this time in, in John Kerr when you took on the All Blacks also in Sydney. Uh, much nerves leading into that one, the first game versus the All Blacks? Yeah, there, there were a few nerves. I mean, I'd, I'd grown up watching watching All Blacks Australia Test matches, thinking how 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 amazing is this, and to run out really on in my uh, hometown um, to play against them and and to play against someone like John Kerwin was just it was a dream, and it, it was a funny sort of week because I'd actually um, it was a year when you, you'd play a Test match and then back up. 
on the Sunday to play a club, club oh, game. Right. Yep. And um, the, the week before, I, uh, it must have been they must have been back to back test matches. So I'd played I'd played um, England, and then the following day I'd played a game at Uni Oval. I'd actually fractured a bone in my forearm, and um, I didn't tell anyone about. I went oh, to see geez. the physio and and had an X ray, and they said, "Yeah, there's a little crack there, but if you can put up with it." Um, we can strap it up, and if you can actually deal with the training, then you know you should be okay. And and I played that game um, knowing that it was really a, a trial for me for the World Cup because I knew that there weren't there, there were other guys knocking on the door, and the World Cup team hadn't certainly hadn't been um, decided on yet. And it, I was pretty lucky because that game um, once again the Wallabies played particularly well, and um, it, it, I think the selector was pretty loath to change a, a winning combination. So um, shortly after, they named their World Cup team, and I was lucky enough to be be on it. Now, talk to us about the, that Test match. You obviously scored uh, a fantastic try, and I'm dying to find this on YouTube. So I, I urge any of our listeners to, if they've got it, to get up on YouTube. It's a, a, again one of those famous Bledisloe moments where uh, it was a Wallaby scrum, and I think Lionel was on the open side and kicked it sort of high ball back towards the blind where you were chasing and Kerr had looked all pretty solid and the ball was about to land at his hands and you came from nowhere and took it out of his grasp and ran around to score. An yeah, amazing it, moment. Was it a planned move or what was going on? No, no. It was it was actually a line-out, I think. That was, was it? Okay. Uh, you know, it might, might have even been New Zealand ball in the line-out okay. and, and, and we'd managed to win it and got passed back to, to Noddy and, and he kicked deep downfield really looking for territory. And he found some territory, and it was one of those, you know, odd bounces of the ball where yeah. ball landed on its end and just sat up, and and took a while to come down. And I wasn't, I honestly wasn't much good for for for, for well, I wasn't good for too much on the field. One thing I, I sort of prided myself on was chasing hard and and trying to you know harass yeah. fullbacks and wingers. And in this case, it was one of those times when the ball um, sat up, and I had just had eyes on the ball and. He took his eyes off the ball briefly, and that the, the, those two moments coincided, and I was managed to be lucky enough to pick it up and um, scamper 20 metres or so to score a try under the post. Yeah. So for me, that was like that's you know the memory that pe- that, that that I have um, hold very dearly, but it's also a memory that of that Test match it was where the Wallabies beat New Zealand reasonably convincingly, and we really felt that, you know, we were, we were building something towards that World Cup. Yeah, I was going to ask that because I acknowledge you lost the next test uh, against New Zealand. I think it was over there in New Zealand at a wet game. But those that start to the series would have given you, um, you know, a fair level of confidence going into the World Cup. I think the team was pretty settled. You'd just lost Tim Gavin, which was a big blow. But yeah. going into the, the, the Cup, you're reasonably confident? Yeah, look, I think I think, and I, I know that Nick Far Jones has said this in the past that that losing that Test six three um, in in Auckland um, gave us as much confidence as anything because we actually played pretty poorly. Mm. Um, we missed a number of shots at goal, um, and we still probably should have won that Test match. And um, we had, and and if we'd walked into that um, World Cup and with with just a, a record of straight wins, there wouldn't have been that, or it may not have been that hunger and desire to, to, to knock the All Blacks off. And 
I think in the World Cup, our performance in that semi-final was as good as any that Australia have had for a number of years. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get there, but I want to. We'll, we'll talk to the World Cup now, and uh, I think you played pretty much every game that tournament. Might have sat out one versus Western yeah, Samoa. Yeah, there was a pretty wet day against Samoa, and a pretty physical encounter. I was I was reasonably happy not to be playing that <laughs> game. It was pretty looked pretty ordinary on the pitch. I was oh. handing out lollies on the sideline. <laughs> Um, well, that's great, but there's two uh, really famous World Cup moments from that uh, that event that you were pretty much uh, had the, the the best seats in the house for um, one one not so good and one good is the first one is that quarter final against Ireland, which is a famous game and, and again one of these moments that I uh, that are sort of as a fan I, uh, really defines my my love of the Wallabies and what they achieve and it was that. Um, late in the game, I think Ireland must have, again, you'll correct me, but might have had a, a, a line-out or something and, and made the play down the open wing. You're down the other side of the field, uh, a kick through, Gordon Hamilton, their, their flanker, picked it up and managed to, to break a tackle or through and, and, and scored a try in the corner. You happened to make the last cover tackle, not quite um, stopping his momentum, and he scored the try and that put Ireland in front. And it was at that moment that... Um, you know, it was very close to the Wallabies crashing out of the World Cup. What was the feeling amongst the team when that try was scored? Yeah, that's that's a, a pretty famous moment in World Cup history, and I think you know they they sort of look at you know moments that make the World Cup, and that was certainly one that made that World Cup. Um, the Irish crowd had in their in their mind conjured a fairly um, unlikely victory. From you know, clutched it, clutched it out of their hands, and and uh, I, I just remember coming across in in cover, thinking I'm going to pick up this guy, and then just not quite getting enough shoulder onto him to, to, to bundle him over the sideline. He was a little bit larger than me, um, and we were camped underneath the goalposts there, and and. To be honest, I never listened to much of those <laughs> speakers behind the post. I sort of wandered off, try and keep myself in a in a in a zone where I can know what I'm doing next. But I, I do remember someone asking the referee how long we got rest, and the rest said something like six minutes. So even though you know time in many people's eyes was just about up, we knew we had plenty of time to go down and score a try, and um, we we actually had had. The better of that game and penetrated their, their defence pretty regularly, but hadn't quite put them away. So we knew if we had got another chance in their territory, we were a, good, a very good chance of going over and scoring. Yeah, and, and history would show that was correct when uh, I think Michael Liner went over in the corner there to to win that game and um, silence the the home crowd and the Wallabies moved on to the semi final, which is another amazing game. You you talked about it before that the the England performance and the New Zealand performance in Sydney were amazing, but then this performance, particularly in that first half by the Wallabies, was just exceptional. And and uh, David Campisi, your your wing partner there, was a particular standout and you know he set up to me horn with that no look pass but then the, the try I want to talk about was when he scored himself he I think he received the ball almost in the middle of the field and ended up scoring in your corner again right there in front of you I, I still watch that try and can't fathom how he scored that it just doesn't seem feasible to beat seven all blacks and, and you know run across field and score what was was it like playing with camp and tell us about that try uh, look, Campo was a, a, a fantastic player, and in that World Cup, he was at the absolute top of his game. 
and had such confidence in his ability to do anything really. And look, he, he the, my first thoughts when when he wandered across the field were just pass me the ball, camp. I've got no one in front of me. <laughs> but then obviously, if he got close to the line, I realised he was going to score. And um, I don't know if you, if you've seen that clip on YouTube. It looks like I do a goose step over yeah, the top of the corner post as he scores. That was replayed back and forth in the team meeting. <laughs> over and over again, not to see Campos try to get a little <laughs> celebration. Um, but no, that was he, he He was outstanding in that World Cup and in that game. And the uh, that performance in the first half in attack was incredible. In the second half, we didn't get anywhere near as much ball, but defensively, Defense, we, were, yeah. um, we were just as good. And uh, I, I remember being outside, like defending outside Horn and Little, and their their ability to to spread and cover was just second to none. And um, we, we were a pretty good defensive unit. And yeah, that was that was a, a great feeling after that game. And the next morning, you know, we were we were with the All Blacks in the in the airport um, in Dublin. And you know, very happily, we were heading to London for the uh, for the final. And they were heading to to Cardiff for the third fourth well, playoff. Third, fourth. And, uh, Without a no, too. <laughs> Good for you. That's great. <laughs> now, going into the final, uh, I mean, you're on such a, I guess, a wave. Again, the confidence was there. You, England was a team you'd, you'd beaten fairly comfortably earlier in the season. It, it didn't all go your own way that test. It was it was a, a true final. Yeah, no, it was a tough final. Uh, they they really departed from their, their game plan. Uh, they'd played pretty tight against us um, in in Sydney and yeah, for the final I think they decided that the only way they were going to win the game was to throw the ball around and that's something they hadn't done really for years and they to be, to be fair they cut us open a little bit and uh, they had some opportunities and didn't didn't take those opportunities and uh, we we scrambled pretty well in defense and uh, and scored the only the only try of the match so uh, yeah, it, it wasn't our best performance of the year, but was was enough to win. And yeah, it was a, the culmination of just a, a very big few months of footy for me. Yeah, an amazing experience for you. I mean, you, you'd only I lost the one test yourself, and and that would be your Wallaby career. But what happened next? You moved to the USA. Oh, is that correct? Yeah, well, I think you alluded to the fact that I was pretty long in the tooth <laughs> when I made my debut. I was twenty-eight, and yeah, right. Um, you know, I, I tell people I can see the the the, uh, the shape of Jonah Lomu coming yes. over the, the horizon. <laughs> Didn't like the look of it. But no, my, my, to be honest, my wife had a um, she'd been offered a, a a fellowship called a Fulbright Fellowship to to do some study in the in the states at the start of the year, and we put we basically deferred that for one year for me to have one last crack at at, at rugby, and uh, it was just an ideal time to. The hanger, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, finish any higher, and and I I still wanted to play rugby, but I was very content playing um, club rugby in the states, and then when I returned home for for uni, and uh, no, it was a, a perfect time for me to, to pull up stunts. It's amazing if 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 it was based in America, this, this would be a Hollywood movie from some description, but uh... <laughs> I doubt it. They'd have to <laughs> choose some different note to put in it. <laughs> um, all right, well that's that's you know that was great, Bob. I really enjoyed that sort of reliving that fantastic series. And as I 
1991 was a, a special time for Australian rugby, but we want to move forward and look at this current team. Um, and as I said in the, the intro, we've just come off a really poor weekend and it's clear a number of our super rugby teams are, are really underperforming. You know a lot of these guys. You were Wallaby manager not too long ago. Do you think we have it in us to, to win the comp this year? Well, I think we've shown in the past few years that we can test the very best teams in the world. So I think there's no doubt that we can beat, um, and we've shown that we can beat every other team at that World Cup. It's just a matter of whether we can do it consistently, because that's, that's tournament play is, is stringing back-to-back performances um, together. Um, I have no doubt that our backline will match it with, with any backline that, that's put out there in the World Cup. Um, it, it comes down to whether, I guess, whether our type five can, can do the same, the same thing. I think our, our starting type five will be competitive. It's whether we've got the depth to carry a couple of injuries up front. Yeah, so consistency is really key. We've got that hard pull. I mean, much like yourselves in 91, there was, there's no heavy games. You started with Argentina and then Samoa, like you said, was tough and yep, went straight yep. on to Wales. It's, um, it, you, there's no letting up, is there? No, no, it, it's it's a really tough pool, and and you know I, I think we've we've got uh, apart from England and Wales, I think there's there's Fiji in that pool as well, and that's, yeah, that's right. You know, as far as as far as a third team that you play in a in a pool, that's that's as tough as any. Mm. And then you know I think we've got a, a qualifier there as well. So there's probably one game that you can you can say, well, you know, we can we can maybe give our our um, our extra guys a bit of a run here, but the other three games is there's just no guarantees. So we've, we've really got to hit the ground running at the start of that competition. And, uh, and I think... Yeah, yeah, go, go on, on. sorry. I, as I said before, I, I think we've got, we've got um, a pretty good starting 15. And, and even though our spring tour, the, the results mm. weren't there, I think there were some encouraging signs um, in, in that spring tour. I thought the scrum actually held up pretty well in most of those games. Um, and I think when we get our best line out together, um, we'll be we'll be competitive. But you know, as I said before, it really comes down to being able to string a few games together. Yeah, one thing, a couple of things. You know, the big difference '91 and put together the whole amateur versus professional, and you know things yeah. have changed. But you worked so well on combinations back in that '91 team, didn't you? The whole front row is Waratahs, and the the locks for Queensland. The back row is basically Waratahs, and then. Yeah. Far Jones and Lionel knew each other well, and then you had Horan a little, and then the New South Wales back three. Is that relevant yeah. these days? Should we be looking for our combos? You know, given the team's been struggling of recent years. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not sure that that that's particularly relevant. The the the, the test guys have played a lot of football together, mm. you know, and I don't, you know, I guess from if I look back at at, at my history, uh, I, I was a bolter, and I guess Marty Roebuck may have been considered that as well. Um, and John Eels, he was he was coming, certainly coming by the end by by the ninety one season. He was someone that people had their eyes on. Um, but I can't see it's gonna be very difficult for a bolter to make yeah. this this World Cup squad, I think, particularly in the back. So it, the the back line will be guys that we've seen before and they will all have played a lot of rugby before. Um I think those combinations are less relevant now than, than maybe they were in the past. Yeah, okay. Well, let's look at that back line in particular and, and now down your position, acknowledging you played a fair bit of fullback, but we've we've done fullback. We did Berkey yep, last yep. week, so let's look at the wingers. Straight 
down the line, who would be your two Wallaby wingers at the moment? Well, that's a good that's a good question. I, I guess I guess there are a number of um, players coming to contention. There's a number of people have filled that position in the last few years. I, I like Henry Spate on one wing. Yep. I just think he brings a bit of X factor there, and I don't. I think last year we didn't see the best of him in the test jersey. I think he'll grow into that. I think he'll be a, a real standout there. Um, and on the other wing, I guess it comes down to, uh, you know, Adam Ashley Cooper's been there. Um, you've got Joe Tamani, who's probably one of the incumbents. And the other bloke, I reckon, who will um, be right in amongst it will be um, James O'Connor, yep. um, even though, you know, he's, he's hampered by injuries at the moment. But, at his best, he's world class, and um, and then there's also the Honey Badger. So there's yeah. there's a few wingers there. I'd have Henry Spade on one wing, and and probably in 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 form, um, I'd have James O'Connor on the other wing. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, what do you think we should be looking for our wingers? I mean, are we looking for them as a unit with our fullback? Are we looking for you know pure finishes? Do they have to be that sort of second fullback, someone who can drop back and help Israel? Assuming it's Israel with the you know the kick returns or even kicking out and so on, is it you know you and Campo are direct opposites almost with all due respect, but you, you worked well together. Is that something you look at as a combination for that that wingers or back three? I think you'd you'd have to look at the way you want to play the game and and you've got to look at some versatility there. I think I think James O'Connor gives you some versatility in that he yep. can play a few different positions. Um, he doesn't seem to be kicking a, a lot of goals at the moment, but he, he has the potential to be a, a really good goal kicker. Um, Henry Spade is just a power a power finisher. Um, he's not going to give you flexibility in other positions. Um, and Israel Israel is just so solid under the high ball, and his ability to actually generate go forward from counter attack. I don't I don't see why we'd even contemplate playing playing him anywhere else. I know he, he he's made noises about playing anywhere else, but he he would have to be he has to be my first choice as fifteen, and I wouldn't actually contemplate playing him anywhere else. But if if you have those guys, all those guys can pop up in midfield. If you're running spate off off your ten or twelve, um, he's going to make some yards for you. You can bring O'Connor in in those positions well as well, and you can also use him as a first receiver that can can actually get across the game line through his footwork. So I think you've got You've got good combinations there, and if you have, if they're not available, the blokes you're selecting, like Cummins and or Tamani, um, have played really well at, at, at test class at, at test football. So it's not as if you're taking a big step back to pick any of those guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, Bob, I've got to let you go. I think you're on a bit of a, a, a rugby camp at the moment, school rugby camp at the moment. So you've no doubt got uh, plenty of respons- responsibilities elsewhere. Um, but really appreciate your time. It was fantastic to review 1991 and, and have a bit of a snapshot at what uh, we might be in hold for the tournament later this year. Um, hopefully the no. Wallabies this year can recapture some of that magic that we had back in 91, hey? Yeah, fingers crossed. I, I really, uh, having, having spent a bit of time with these boys over the last few years and know how much hard work they've put in, I, I really want them to do well and I know that all... All Wallabies and all Wallaby supporters will be um, riding them home and, and hoping they, they bring back uh, Bill another time. Yeah, indeed we will. Excellent, Bob. Thanks for joining us and uh, we wish you best of luck and we'll speak to you again.
Thanks, Red. See you, mate. Uh, there was Robbie Edgerton, great man. Uh, I'm now joined by Barbarian Hugh Cavill. How are you, Hugh? I'm oh, not too bad, Reg. Not too bad. How are things up up your way? Oh, they're okay. They're okay. At least we're from a results perspective this weekend. We're all on the same uh, level, so uh, happy with that. Um, <laughs> Very true. Very true. And no gliding down here this week. Yeah, good for once. Um, Brumby Jack Steve from Canberra. How are you, mate? Pretty good. Excellent. Now, look, just spent half an hour with Bobby Edgerton reliving the 1991 World Cup. Hugh, before your time, I understand. Uh, just just a little bit. Don't want to reveal my age too much to, to those out there. Don't want to, you know, sully anyone's image of me as a wise old sort of uh, head, head in rugby. But yeah, no. uh, I was only a few years old at the time of the 91 World Cup. Though I've got to say, I've got a, uh, I've downloaded the final. Oh, have uh, you? I'm going to have a watch of that in a few okay. days' time, so... So uh, looking forward to, to having a look at that, because I've seen some highlights. Excellent. I, I, I've, I've obviously seen, you know, the, the try, uh, you know, that we're still not quite sure who scored, but uh, looking forward to seeing the rest of the game. Well, mate, one, one piece about that try is often overlooked is the piece of play by Tim Horan beforehand to get us in that position is incredible skill. So, look, enjoy the game. It wasn't our great game, but it was a, it was a final of the Rugby World Cup and it was got what it was deserved. Um Steve, what about you? Any memories of 1991 before uh, your time as well? Oh uh, yeah, I was a wee wee yeah, lad back then nice. as well. But I, I just have a quick look at um, the Ireland quarterfinal before, and I, I did notice it was when the Ireland uh, scored their try late in the game. Uh, Robbie tried to uh, tackle the Irish player and yep. unfortunately couldn't. And uh, this this bloke walks <laughs> out from the crowd and absolutely gives it to him. <laughs> he and did. Yeah, I think uh, Rob did quite well not to belt him. It's a, I thought that was hilarious. I was going to mention it to Bob, but I did it. But, yeah, the, the the fans stormed the field and celebrated, except for this one guy who just, with complete intent, walked over to Edgerton, stood over him for a little while, obviously gave him a mouthful, and then just walked backwards away again. Um, yeah, and, and thankfully we had the last laugh. It was yeah. a real gentleman's game back then, wasn't it? <laughs> the doyens of uh, the spirit of rugby, the Irish, of course. He's probably <laughs> just asking him how, how many Guinness he'd like after the match. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so that was a, a great listen for Bob, and there's more to come, obviously. But um, let's... Um, look, I, I, that whole, like I said, that 91 season was really special for me. I'll give away my age. I was 18, final year of rugby, of oh, school, sorry. And just remember that whole season. I was at the first test of the year at Ballymore. We smacked the Welsh by 60 points. John Eels was 20. He, you know, he'd just made his debut. But remarkably for a Queenslander, it was it was Ed Joe and Marty Roebuck at fullback who caught my eye. They just I loved the way they played. With you know, they, they weren't the most skilled guy on the team, but they gave their all and and they you know they're two of my favourite players for many years to come. So it was a thrill to speak to Bob. Um, but uh, and as much as I'd love to keep talking about Wallaby teams of the 90s, I think we do have to come back to reality somewhat and, and, and I guess have a look at this terrible round of rugby that uh, we've all suffered through uh, this weekend past, unfortunately, guys, and you're here to help me through it. Uh, let's start with you, Steve, mate, on, on Friday night and the uh, the Brumbies going down to the Blues uh, over there in Auckland, mate. It was uh, not much, uh, you know, if you get anything out of it, there's a bit of a comeback in that second half, but that first half was pretty dire. Yeah, it was, and I think uh, you know you could always blame Nick White for that bit at oh. the end. But that game was lost uh, well before then. Um, the Blues, you know, obviously, their season's not doing too well, 
and they obviously uh, and back at Eden Park as well, you know, spiritual mm. home ground. I, th- I thought it could have been a, a bit of a danger game and end up being that way, but the Blues, their, their forwards were just quite exceptional to be honest. And Jerome Kino, like, yeah. you know, they've got All Blacks in that team, and the fact they're doing so poorly is a bit of a mystery. Um, people might think it's the coaching, but that's for others to decide. Um, so it's it's amazing where they are at this moment, and uh, you know they played very well and they just pretty much suffocated the Brumbies out of the game and the Brumbies are normally quick starters where they try and get points early in the game and try and grind down and uh, I don't think they had um, many points I think in that first 20 minutes at all so um, they obviously had a different game plan and obviously with Matt Tamua going off early on that sort of changed things uh, and for them and obviously coming down to the last kick and I would have thought if they had gone over the Blues would have been hard done by because they probably deserved it in the end. Yeah, you're right. They they played the better rugby across the game. It was it was a, a better Brumbies performance in that second half. They were pretty dire that first half. But the the interesting thing about the Nick White kick was uh, Matty Burke on our previous podcast had talked about you know our Wallaby lack of a gold kicker and you can't and he specifically said you can't just give it to guys like Beale and White for the last kick of a game and inspect them to be able to line it up and, and get it over having not kicked a ball in anger for you know the rest of the game. So it it uh, came back in spades in that game. Yeah, it's you know they probably had a few in the warm up, so you're looking at maybe two hours between kicks. So obviously you have one, maybe one or two, is uh, you know it's getting your, your eye in and uh, going from there. But so it was, you know, it was unlucky. But I, I will say the one, probably the only good thing out of that game was the, the display from Pocock. Yeah, he he must. I've said it today in that Tuesday top five that maybe is he back to his best yet? But that was an amazing game from him with I think maybe five steals at the ruck. But but also just yeah he was fantastic the physicality he showed was sensational um, and Gag has put up a clip I think the Brumbies put together of of some of the highlights of that of Pocock in that game and and not just the the uh, the turnovers but also just the physicality at the ruck clearing out and all that sort of stuff so it's great to have him back um, and uh, you know we need to see more of it for the rest of the season uh, Hugh did you get to see this game I I did I did and I've got to say it was a real it appeared to be a real banana peel game for the for the Brumbies. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Blues had been percolating. They'd lost every game, but not, you know, but they were in every one of them, and they were probably unlucky not to win a few. And uh, you, you felt like that, that run of form would have to snap at some point, and, and it did, and the Brumbies were a bit unlucky to be on the other end of it. I, I, I did feel through that second half when the Brumbies came back and back, and it, it felt almost like an inevitability that they might, they'll score a try here, they'll snag a try, and um, and they'll go ahead and, and buy five or six and sink the Blues again. But the Blues hung in there, and the Brumbies just never got that, you know, had that killer instinct, that killer moment. And obviously the injuries would have contributed to that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was still a pretty decent effort from the Brumbies, and it's not one to be too disheartened about. I mean, on the face of it, losing to the Blues is disappointing, but the Blues, as I said, have been a pretty decent side, so uh, still plenty of time left in the season for the Brumbies. Yeah, and those injuries we'll have to talk about later because there were some significant ones there. Um, next game of the round was Crusaders versus Highlanders with the Highlanders winning 25-20 to in a cracking game of rugby, as you'd expect from these New Zealand local derbies. Um, but the next one we'll speak to is the Waratah game, Hugh. Um, and uh, Waratah's going down 18-32 to to the Storm. It's an odd game, I mean... They came back towards the end of the first half and things looked promising, but that second half, um, the, the Stormers ran away with it. Yeah, um, 
the Stormers are a team that the Waratahs have historically struggled with. Uh, uh, there's a bit of a parallel between this game to the game, uh, the corresponding game two years ago at the stadium, um, where they just bashed and bashed and bashed at the Stormers, and the Stormers held and held and held and and were leading in this, you know, up until the 77th, 78th minute when uh, Israel Folau managed to just get over the line and Waratahs won by two. And I think the Waratahs in this game are trying to employ a similar policy of just trying to stay patient, bash away at that brick wall Stormers defence and hope that it cracked in the last 10 minutes. And for a while it looked like that strategy was, was kind of paying off. You know, at the end of the first half, as you said, in that last 10 minutes, they, they, they went from being, I think, down 13-3 to being up 16-13 or something, or something to that nature. Uh, and you thought that, you know, the, the strategy was going to pay off. But in that second half, they just couldn't penetrate. It, the forwards just had no go forward. They would just keep buffeting back and back. The ruck ball was slow. And then the mistakes came and, and the Stormers capitalised. There was a really well-taken intercept. There was a, a try from a, a chip kick, which admittedly was a bit of a lucky bounce. But, I mean, these things happened and they certainly deserve the luck. And the final try in, in, in with a few minutes to go with a... A long uh, break by the, the Stormers' young fullback. So I, I I think there's plenty plenty to work on f- from the Waratahs perspective. I'm not sure the scoreline necessarily was indicative of how um, close the game was, but uh, yeah, the, that, those South African teams and their brick wall defences. It seemingly, I mean, any team struggles to break down, but the Stormers just showed when they're on on their day. It, they're going to be really hard to beat in this competition. And they're, they're winning on the road now, these South Africans too, which oh. is well, when did they not, start not decide... the plan, exactly. Oh, no, well, when, when did they decide to start doing that? I mean... For... <laughs> it's ruining then, everything. Didn't they read the memo that we send around every year? <laughs> well, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, they just stay by themselves next year, hey? They just uh, play their own little tournament yeah, in the Super 18. About um, time. But, yeah, I mean, for, for the Waratahs, obviously a, a few pleasing performances, but really across the board it was pretty flat. I mean, I felt Wycliffe Palu had a good game. Will Skelton battled hard. Um, Sokopi Kepu maybe if you're going to find a third. Um, but uh, really, yeah, n- nothing really to write home about. So it is a, a bit of a worrying sign after that really good win against the Brumbies a few weeks ago. seems like they've taken a step back or two. Yeah, you're right. It was interesting, uh, Skelton's comments today or yesterday about um, he felt they didn't, after the bye, they weren't up for it. You know, they didn't take it, uh, they weren't keyed up for the Stormers, they, you know, which I, was surprising um, given, you know, the nature of the Stormers and the history against them and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, I guess it probably typified the weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, and Reg, you'd be able to comment from uh, as a Reds fan in that the year after. And I think it seems to the Waratahs this year that when they put it all together, when they're really up for it, they, they can beat anyone in the competition. It's just whether they're going to be able to do that on a consistent enough basis because it's clear that one week, if, if it's against the Brumbies, they'll really get up for it, but they'll slack off again if it's against the Stormers. I don't think they have quite that level of hunger there. That, yeah. that, and as much as they might say it, uh, that this year is no different to last year. Uh, it has to be. You know, I think the monkey's yeah. off the back, and it's, it's seemingly they are taking that foot off the pedal every now and again. Yeah, I think you, you nailed it. I think it's that word hunger. I think you know you lose that, particularly in both cases, the Reds in eleven and you guys last year was um, both coaches readily admit that it's uh, you know they achieved success two years ahead of schedule. You know they that three year plan or whatever it was, and they achieved it in their first year. So 
you know, maybe the players weren't quite ready for it. Right? Still plenty of time, and the Waratahs are uh, still a chance of making the finals, we would hope. Um, let's move on. The next game was the uh, the Force hosting the Cheetahs, and again, another loss. Uh, force were up at half-time, but uh, again, the Cheetahs ran away with it and ended up winning 24-15. Frustrating, Steve. Any thoughts on this one? Yeah, you could pretty much say that was for the force. They should have pretty much won that one, I, I think. But um, you know, the Cheaties can't take much away from them. And, uh, the week before, you know, they went down to the Brumbies and it looked a bit disappointing. And uh, you might say that um, based on the result this week, the Cheaties probably played okay last week. Mm. But this week, um, you know, they played to the conditions as well. You know, it was raining over in Perth and uh, they just seemed to take their chances quite well. And um, this game in particular uh, was just built on, and same with the... Stormers win over the Waratahs, which is built on massive defence from the from the South African side. I think there was one uh, period towards the end of the half there, or second half, and the force would have could have been in the game, but there was a I think they had 26 phases, and yeah. the Cheetahs uh, managed to hold it out. And I think it just summed up the game there that the the force, you know, if they can't after 26 phases, and I think most of them were in the 22. And they couldn't get over the line, and I think that was the, you know the straw that broke the camel's back there. So, well played to the cheaters, and um, look out for the teams that have to play them. I think are the Reds next week. Yeah, they are. Well, at least we're not playing them in Australia, where the South African teams are blitzing it. Um... <laughs> well, I think that 26 phase period, Steve, kind of summed up the force in that game, and almost in general, because it. Sh- I mean, the control was impressive to to keep position for that long. Um, and, you know, the, you chose the basics of the game are there uh, for the force and they can really secure their own ruck ball and, and were pretty well structured. But in that 26 phases, they they couldn't break them down and score a try. They just don't have that level of game-breaking brilliance, whether it's individual or team-based. And uh, they had some great moments in that game, but ultimately were just probably uh, just shaded by the cheaters who were a bit more consistent. And, and the force... I mean, spurned a really a couple of really kickable penalty opportunities, and I feel like the force when you've got the amount of firepower that the force does in in that creative department, which is not very much, you've really got to take any time yeah. points are on offer, especially if you've got Sia Sebison, uh that that's your goal kicker who, who's you know doing pretty well at the moment, uh, yeah. and and Burton as well, who's a, actually I think Burton was kicking on that night, so I think he yeah, he was he yeah. still is a is a is a pretty decent kicker and. To be turning down those those three easy three points in in the first half, I, I don't know. I, I, I would, I'm not sure that was the best plan. No, agreed. Any points on offer? Um, all right. Next game was Lions Sharks with the Lions getting up over the Sharks before uh, the Bulls and the Reds uh, and uh, the Bulls getting up 43 to 22, uh, 24-5 at the half. Just a really Look, I mean, I think a lot of Reds fans or those that bothered to get up and watch it or watch the replay of it um, without knowing the score expected that Bulls to continue on in that second half and, and be the rampage that many anticipated. It wasn't the case, but, geez, that first half was, was dire from the Reds. Just, uh, you know, loose carry, runaway try, uh, a poor option, grubber kick, runaway try. Um, you know, we got one in there through... Uh, the uh, 
the the frisbee chip to uh, chip kick and pass to Lockie Turner, but um, that first half performance was was much of muchness for us. Came back a bit in that second half and a, a couple of tries there through Genia um, and uh, and frisbee himself through a beautiful Genia kick. I thought that was a delightful bit of play from Will, uh, but unfortunately, I think around the time that Adam Thompson was yellow carded. Um, you know, the, the Bulls regained a bit of control there and, and, and ran away with it despite a, another try to, uh, to the Reds through Kotze later on. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably all we anticipated. It's the first time we've scored four tries all season, if we can take that from it. Um, that's, a, that's a big thing, particularly over in Loftus. <laughs> yes, yes, that's yes. Quite, that's uh, maybe two positives there. Can we get more than a bonus point for that? But, um, yeah, it was uh, uh, another loss for the Reds, and uh, I think that's... Oh, gosh, I think that's six in a row, which is the first time since 2009. Um, oh, no, 2008, maybe. Uh, 2009. So, you know, things still aren't good for the Reds. Uh, either of you guys bother watching this one? I've just seen highlights and yeah. pretty much can't add too yeah. much to what you said. But like, I, when I did see, they were pretty close. And like you said, that loose carry and then uh, the ball pops out the side and uh, the ball's wing around 55 metres untouched just yeah. to sort of edge it just enough for them and they seem to just stay in front from there and you know, um, like I said positive for the Reds is they managed to go to the end and have four tries remembering the Bulls were also resting a few key players as well so we uh, we can't get too carried away with, <laughs> with a 20 point loss alright so that was the round of Super Rugby round 9 we're going to look forward to round 10 in a second but first we've got our uh, patented barbarian Five burning questions. Uh, it's just you guys. I'm just going to be the, uh, not the officiator, but the facilitator um, in this one. But uh, we'll go through it. Short, sharp answers. Give us your thoughts on this one. So back of a dreadful weekend. Uh, I'll start with you, Hugh. Do we need to ditch one of our super rugby teams for the sake of Australian rugby? No, no, not at all. I I, I, I think this was a great ground article. And the only knowledge I took away from that, was that Greg Groudon is still writing articles, apparently. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's you can't, much like after one good week, we can't crow that the Australian Conference is back or the Australian Conference is the strongest conference or the Wallabies are going to win the World Cup. Likewise, on the flip side, when we have a bad round, we can't go talking about jettisoning teams and that the Wallabies aren't going to get out of their pool. Um, no, is my All right, answer. Steve? No, I don't think so either. Um, this is just maybe, hopefully it's just a blip. Uh, it's been a while since all, well, we only had four teams playing, but all but last time all teams that were playing and lost in a round was you know, six years ago. So it'll do nothing for our development if we lose um, a, a team. So, no. Yeah. All right, nice. All right. Who is the next question? Sorry. Who is the more worrying injury, Quade Cooper or Matty Tamua? Uh Steve. Well, being a Brumbies man, I'm going to say Matt Tamua, but also for the <laughs> from national the cause. Yeah, from Wallaby's perspective, um, you know, he's just, his defensive work at the, at the ten as well is is up there with one of the best. So uh, to lose him at the moment is a concern that the national fans should be worried about greatly. Hugh. Uh, yeah, oh no, I'll say Cooper. I'll say Quaid. Uh, I think Matty Tamua's out for a month, and you can see him getting back uh, in some sort of shape. Uh, with a little bit of time before a tilt at the finals and then, then a, uh, the pre, the test before the World Cup. Cooper, it's looking like cutting a bit finer. He's got eight weeks and really he's a player that I think needs at least six or seven 
weeks, games to get himself back into the swing, and I don't want him doing that against the All Blacks. Um, I think that factor alone uh, leads me to say that, that he's the more worrying injury at this point. Yep. Points to Hugh, I agree, Cooper. You, you win that round. <laughs> um, all right, we'll start with you the, the, as the champion, reigning champion at the moment. Which two, will two Australian teams make the Super Rugby Finals? Obviously, we're guaranteed one. Will we manage to get a second team in there? You. See, tough one. I'll, I'll go with my gut and say no. I, I think the um, South African Conference has proved uh, that they're the real deal this year, and. Uh, they might go crazy resting players, much like the New Zealand Conference might, but uh, I think as long as they don't do that, they'll get a couple of teams in. And I think the Kiwi Conference, once again, is proving really strong. And that uh, form of the Hurricanes, in a weird way, is actually um, helping the other ty- and uh, the other sides in the form of the Blues because there's a clear front run and there's a clear tail ender, which gives the three teams in the middle um, a really good shot at making the finals, um, rather than normally when they're all five beating each yeah. other and losing to each other in equal measure. Um, so uh, I have a feeling that one of our two big sides, the Waratahs and Brumbies, might get squeezed out. All right. Uh, Steve, what about yourself? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so, to be honest. So, um, the, our ladder positions at the moment, um, I think, are 2, 10, 11, 14, and 15. So that's not that's not pretty good. And I think the... Uh, it's a little bit. That's a little bit misleading, though, because I think the Tars are 10th, but they're two games behind one of the South African teams. Yeah, it's, it's unusual, yeah. I think, because the Waratahs have had their two buys and some teams haven't had any yet. Um, yeah. But in the war, for the Waratahs to make the finals, they're in a stretch now of uh, 13 straight, oh, 10 straight games, I think, to finish the season. And if they want to become champions, that's going to be 13, which I don't think any team's ever done before. So um, short answer, no, I think. And it's going to be one and I think maybe seventh or eighth for the, the next yeah, best. Right, okay. All right, next one, Steve. We'll stick with you. Uh, should Chica, Michael Chica, have been banned uh, for approaching the ref versus the Blues at halftime? Uh, no. It's hard. To, it's hard to say because it, uh, it depends on. I want an answer. We know too. sort of not been Yeah. Well, I don't think so. Um, you know, it seems like he's he's broken something, but no one's no, really what, no. saying exactly what. So no, pretty much. That's not the answer I wanted. Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, of course he shouldn't be banned. This is this is finally we've got finally sounds are showing a bit of common sense here. Um, it was nothing. It was nothing. I mean, I, I've got a mate of mine who who um, has been a ref and, and sort of is a bit of a touch judge in, in those sort of uh, Super Rugby and the fourth and fifth man. And he said that that happens all the time. The refs room is right next to the change room. Uh, not often when a coach is walking in or out, they'll pop their head in and say, "What happened on that last scrum? What was that penalty for?" And and the refs are normally more than happy to oblige because they know, you know, it, it's a it's if it's a quick answer, it just helps their relationship and, and go from there. Uh, you know, I don't think he should do it every week. He should. I don't think it's something we should necessarily encourage. But geez, one quick question about scrums. I mean, for God's sake, not going to rub him out for six months because of that. Regardless of what suspended sentences are hanging over him, he's he's got to get his act together, checker, sure, but. Um, um, I think it was the right decision. Mm-hmm. You're both wrong. Um, finally, uh, <laughs> is Brad Thorne the greatest rugby league convert ever? He uh, retired this week, um, but uh, what a man, Hugh. Can anyone match him? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say he is, only on the basis when when he won the World Cup in 2011. Otherwise, I'd, I'd probably have to give it to, I'd say, Jason Robinson, mm-hmm. um, winning Alliance. Uh, no, he didn't win Alliance Series, did he? But playing really well in a Lions series and then winning a World Cup. But until that point, uh, Brad Thorne gets okay. it. 
clinches it. I mean, geez, what a, what a record. I mean, and now he's still playing, and they're talking about bringing him back for another. They were talking about before he retired, coming him coming back for another year at seemingly the age of about fifty five. So, I mean, what a, what a marvel, Steve. Yeah, I think he would be. He's played. Uh, what is he in forty yeah. years old or wearing the red uh, gold oldie shorts? So. <laughs> For someone to have played that long, and particularly in the position that he's played, uh, I think it's a very in- huge achievement and uh, well done yeah, to him. Yeah, absolutely. Quick, quick, quick point on league converts, yeah, Reg. Man. I want to raise because I didn't get to raise this last time. 2003 World Cup semi-final uh, that I went back and watched oh, yeah. with the back three of Rogers, Takiri, and Sailor. And, geez, they played really well. All three really better than I remember. And I, I think they've probably got a bit of a bad rap over the uh, years. Geez, still. Yeah, yeah. Big Del Sala was a revelation. Rogers was really great at the back, and, and Takiri was just, you know, almost reminded me a lot of Israel Falau, actually, the way he just broke the first tackle every well, remember time. remember that was Lottie's first year, too. That was, you know, it was Dell and Rogers' maybe second year, but that was Lottie's first. But I remember the same. I remember Wendell, the two standouts for that game from a Wallaby from once mine were, I think you mentioned him, Brendan Cannon was sensational, and, and Wendell was fantastic. Um, but roll forward, mate. Watch the next game. Watch the grand final, and you see you'll probably come back to earth. <laughs> yeah, I've been avoiding that one. <laughs> um, all right, good stuff, guys. Uh, that was uh, worth doing. I enjoyed it. Um, we're going to look at round ten of Super Rugby this weekend. Uh, we'll burn through these uh, the non-Aussie games. Crusaders playing the Chiefs uh, on Friday night, which is always a great game. Uh, those two uh, rivals. Uh, but on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Hurricanes versus the Waratahs. Uh, Hugh, you're already down a player with um, uh, Nario. Oh, Nario. <laughs> um, Nario, Nario Boro. Boro, uh without a passport. Yeah, I think you're confusing there. That that's the child exactly. of Nayaravoro and Patricio Noriega. Yes, exactly. I think. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Nario um without a passport, so won't be travelling with the team. But uh, how do you reckon they'll bounce back? Look. I don't know. I mean, going back for our discussion before about games that they can get up for, you think if they can't get up for this one, that they should give it away. The top of the table, Hurricanes, they play a style that the Waratahs play well against traditionally, uh, that sort of wide-open running rugby. Um, They beat them well uh, last year uh, at home with a couple of late tries, I seem to remember. Um, Yeah, look, Nayar Avoro is a loss, but Peter Beetham comes in, and I can't see that being a huge issue. Um, and it looks like they've got no huge injury concerns. I, I'm not going to tip the Waratahs in this one because I think the Hurricanes' form is really good and they're just really riding high at the moment. But at the same time, much much like the Blues, I think they might be due, due a down game, much as the Blues would do an up game. Sure. So that's what I'm going to be hoping for and hope that re- – I mean, really, I've got to hope that the forwards can take it to them. And I'm looking for big games from guys like Dave Dennis uh, and Jacques Potgieter, who have both been really quiet so far this year. And uh, – a due again to step up and really stamp their class uh, on the opposition. So I'm, I'm hoping that happens on Saturday. Yeah, interesting point about Dennis. He started the season well, but you're right, has quietened down. And he'd be, you know, he was all things a World Cup candidate, but uh, really needs to be able to step up. And, you know, your senior players, like we said, those next 13 games on the truck, on the trot, those guys really need to stand up. Steve, what are your thoughts on this one? I think the Warri- oh, sorry the Hurricanes may just get the edge here. I think they're just their midfield this year has been pretty well with like Barrett, Nonu, and Smith, and even um, Savir out wide have been causing damage all over the place. So I think the Waratahs are going to really have to be on their game defensively against those guys. Otherwise, they could be um, you know, standing under the post a few times in that game. But um, like you said, the 
Waratah's forwards will probably be looking to make up for last week because they a lot, a lot of the contact there last week, particularly heading up against the Stormers forwards, they actually went backwards quite quickly. Uh, it wasn't just just struggling to get a metre here or there. They were going backwards at a rate of knots. So I think they'll be looking to uh, rectify that very quickly and they'll need to do it pretty soon too. Yep, absolutely. Um all right, next game is the Highlanders versus the Blues. And then, uh, Steve, you guys are hosting the Rebels. Do you have any backline players left? Uh, I had a missed call for before. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. It could be from uh, Steve Lark. You know, I've just come out of my of, of team rehab myself, so I might have to decline there. Um, apparently, we have nine fit backs for this, this game, so uh, we may be looking at a... A 6-2 split on the bench, or maybe we might even go 7-1. Who knows? It could be a, a first time ever. Our injury toll for the backs is, uh, has been had been okay up until recent. Like we lost Kurandrani. There was talk he might come back, but I don't think he will. Uh, Jesse Mogg was sighted at training, but probably won't make it. Uh, so and Tamua's injury, I think, this week is going to uh, be a big problem for the Brumbies. You know, Leo Lafano... Uh, can step in there, but uh, you know. But once we get past there, a lot of a lot of the guys there are, are very inexperienced, and um, uh, the big loss there is uh, Dargaville yeah. as well. Like he's been playing quite yeah. well um, in when in his games. Um, you know, he's out with a well, effectively a fractured ankle, I think. So you know, it's a bit of a shame to see his um, progress halted at this stage. Um, you do know that uh, David Pocock played inside centre in his first 15 rugby, mate. There's always a, a nice little fallback opposition for you. Well, you know, if, if he can still, if he can burgle rucks like he did against the Blues and he can play any position he wants, <laughs> yes, I don't exactly care. As long right. as he plays like he did last yeah. week, uh, you know, that, who, who knows? Um, Steve Larkham is a backline master. He might have that up his sleeve. We'll, we'll have to wait and see well, when the team's announced. I've actually heard that he, I mean, they're looking at people, you're obviously with a nose for the trial line, and, and, and to put out on the wing, I thought Benny Alexander <laughs> would be a prime candidate. One of the Brumbies' all-time top try scorers, and it just makes perfect sense. Oh, I think he might have laid off the tries because he's sending his own pub broke because every time <laughs> he gets over the line, there's free drinks, and um, you know, there's a crowd of millions waiting to get in, apparently. <laughs> um and they take on the Rebels, and uh, the Rebels, uh, I think, may even uh, welcome back uh, Dom Shipley this weekend. At least he'll be available. Whether he comes into the starting team, uh, we'll see. But they obviously were the best-performed team, uh, Australian team, last weekend, having the bye. So uh, a good challenge for them, um, Yeah, without Laurie Weeks again. Uh, what do you reckon, Hugh? Uh, Brumbies to bounce back? Maybe. I don't know. Look, I'm looking forward to this game because, I mean, the Brumbies have been creaking the last few weeks. They they started well against the Chiefs but couldn't finish it, obviously got done by the Blues. I don't think it's panic stations yet, but certainly they need to uh, put forward a a performance that says they're title contenders because they haven't done it for a period of about four or five weeks, maybe even longer. Uh, The Rebels, on the other hand, are quietly percolating away. They they, um, have had well came off I think a quarter a close loss to the Lions and they you know they, they've been up and down but you've got to think that this might be a, a due for an up swing yeah. this week so it wouldn't surprise me to see the Rebels take it though I will be tipping the Brumbies yep that makes sense um, next game Force versus Stormers over there in Perth Stormers obviously on the back of that uh, strong win over the Tars do you reckon they, they'll do it again over the Force there Hugh yes yeah. Uh, I do. Um, look, I like. You never know with the forces, as I seem to say a bit about the rebels as well. 
But um, I, I, I just these South African teams on the way back from tour, they'll be riding high after a big win against the Tars. Dwayne Vermeulen, I'm guessing, yeah, might come back course, because he was yeah, rested yeah. last week. So, geez, that's not a name you really want to see on the uh, sheet coming back into a side. So, um, big test for the force, and I, I can't see them breaking down breaking down that barrier. I mean, geez, if that Waratahs team can't break down that brick wall defence, I can't see anyone breaking it down. <laughs> um, Steve, what about yourself, mate? <laughs> I think the um, Stormers will get this one. You know, they're two. Uh, Games they were what did they lose? They lost two in New Zealand to Highlanders and um, Hurricanes, so they were in those games. And obviously last week got up against the Waratahs, so I think they'll be looking the goods for this game. Um, you know, just that back line, they've got some really tricky customers back there that can do the, the business like they did against the Waratahs. That Colby's, you know, he's a very um, nimble, nimble guy. So I think they need to look at look after him, and otherwise they'll be. Um, Back down the bottom again. Yep, yep. Now, the Force have uh, announced the re-signing of Matty Hodgson for an extra year or the extension of his contract for an extra year. Unfortunately, he's not available this weekend, and they are really missing him. So I'll go the same way with the Stormers over there. Um, Sharks taking on the Bulls uh, before the Cheetahs host the Reds as the last game of the round on Sunday morning uh, Australian time. Cheetahs obviously coming off that win against the Force. Now, on this occasion, they're travelling... Uh, home and have the big flight ahead of them. Uh, Steve, do you reckon the Reds are any chance, or the Cheetahs going to maintain momentum? Uh, well, the Reds, you know, you can't discount what they did last week. And if they can add to what they've done last week and just keep and keep the errors out of the game, you know, they'll be in with a, uh, a shout here. And I, th- I think the last time over there, they were dudded by the TMO on numerous occasions. So. Um, I think if they can just stick together, and I think being on tour, they're able to put a lot of the um, distractions yeah. around what's happened already but, um, out of their mind and just, just play the way they know they can. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they can get an upset because the Cheetahs are, you know, who knows when they go back. You know, they might still be jet-lagged, let's hope so, um, and hopefully some uh, positive news for the Reds after a, a period of not-so-positive yeah, news. Yeah, Hugh, what about you? Yeah, I agree. I can't see a reason why the Reds shouldn't be aiming to win this game. The backs to the wall stuff, sure. But, I mean, they the Cheetahs are a beatable side. I mean, they showed plenty of weaknesses against that force team. And uh, if the Reds start to click like they did in a few instances against the Bulls, I can't see why they can't extend that to a full 80-minute effort and, and take the game out. Um, yeah, look, it's unlikely. And, and you know, I, I'm not sure I'd be putting my hard-earned on them. But, uh, you know, that. As I said before, I've got so many classy names on that team sheet that you've you, you got to think they're due a good performance, a really good 80-minute performance to surprise one of these teams. So why not this yep, week? Yeah, no, I'll pick them. Thanks, guys. You talked me into it. Look, the Frisbee, Frisbee <laughs> did look a lot better at fly half last week, um, so hopefully he's building some confidence. Goal-kicking's our uh, eternal problem. Um, obviously, O'Connor's injured, so he can't kick. So that must be why they're sticking with Turner, and he hasn't been overly successful uh, as yet. Uh, James Hall is going to come back in the team with Dave McDooling heading back home um, injured, so Kev's got a reprieve. So it'll be interesting to see how he responds to his last performance um, uh, against the. Was it you guys, Steve? Or the, what did he get the. No, it, was, it was the, the Rebels. Rebels, sorry, of course. Um, and then we've also lost uh, Sayafinger and Ben Tapawai, who've 
come back to Brisbane. Um, Andrew Reedy will likely get his debut off the bench at hooker, um, but we're not going to replace Taps. We've got plenty of... I think we're doing the Bromby approach. We're down to our last few backs as well. Maybe young Tuttle will get a debut off the bench or at least sit on the bench. So uh, some hope. Hope for the try-scoring... You know, floodgates have been opened and we'll see some more for the Reds this weekend. And that wraps up round 10. Um, News, guys, anything that stands out? Anything you want to touch on? Uh, We covered pretty much everything. Good to see Hodger re-signing. Apparently, Benny McCalman is also on the list for the force, which is great to see because really those two blokes are the heart of that club and and deserve to stay there and be well uh, paid for their troubles uh, because it's been a lean couple of years for the force. absolutely. Well, that should pretty much wrap us up. All right. Next week, we uh, continue in our series of World Cup Legends series. We're heading north of the border. We've had Berkey and Edjo the last couple of weeks, a couple of Waratahs. We're having a Queenslander next week, and we're moving into the centres. So that's all I'll say. There's plenty of quality Queensland centres uh, playing in those two World Cup games. Uh, Hugh and Steve, thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, Reg. I think Steve's had to go. I think there's a knock at the door. It, it might be Steve Larkham. <laughs> he's off. He's got his boots. <laughs> I, think, I think he's gone. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks for listening, everyone, and enjoy the weekend's rugby. Yeah, right there, right there.